Hallelujah. It's good, isn't it? How many of you know he's risen? How many of you know he's ascended? How many of you know he's seated at the right hand of the Father? But did you know you're seated with him? You are seated together with him in heavenly places right now. That's what the glorious good news about this day is. This is the greatest event in human history for the Christian. The resurrection is no doubt the greatest event in human history because it takes care of the human problem once for all. By one offering, he took care of sin forever. How long? Seven. So when the devil's trying to pull you back into the law, all it is is to pull you back into sin. Because the strength of sin is what? The law. But what? It's been taken care of once for all. So why do you want to visit there? Right? And by one offering, you've been sanctified how, how long? Forever. Forever. That's a good deal. Amen. This is the best day we ever had. Amen. So enjoy it. Every day is a resurrection day. Amen. Every day. John chapter 20, verse 1. Father, thank you for your word today. And Lord, we open our hearts to receive it. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, seeing the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and comes to uh, Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said unto them, They have taken away my Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. wonder why he didn't go in. Then come to Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. And he went also to the other disciples which came first to the sepulcher and saw and believed. I wonder why he believed. Let's look at a chapter before. 19 verse 38 says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him leave, and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. How much? So what did they do with all that? They had strips of cloth, and they put them in this myrrh and aloe, and they wrapped him around his body, all hundred pounds, with this stripping all around him. Now, there they laid him there. And what happened in just a little while, it began to harden, just like a rock. It was a cocoon. So when John came and looked in and he saw, what did he see? He saw a cocoon. Josephus tells us this. You remember when Jesus walked through the door to the disciples after his resurrection and went in and ate fish and all then walked back through the door? <clears throat> what they saw that day was a perfect cocoon laying there, but empty. Josephus tells us there was over a million people in Jerusalem at that time that witnessed his crucifixion because that was the day they all come back to Jerusalem for the big thing they did ever. And so he says, I all heard about his crucifixion. 
And then they heard about his resurrection, and he says for days people walked by that tomb looking at that cocoon. It was the cocoon that John saw that made him believe. It wasn't that the linen clothes was all tore up and laying aside. No. He wasn't like Lazarus when he said, loose him and let him go. They couldn't hold him. He come through those. And it laid there perfectly just like the way he left it. You, you with me? So they believed. What did just he was just gone? He should have been in there because that thing probably weighed 200 pounds time they got through with it. And it was still laying in place, empty. You got it? And he said, many passed by, and when they saw it, they believed. That's why on the day of Pentecost, there was so much going on around there because of that. And the, when the day when the Holy Ghost came and 3,000 got saved, the seeds was already in them. They had seen the crucifixion, and they had seen that he was no longer there. But he was risen. He was a miracle. The thing about Christianity is what? Supernatural from start to finish. Okay. All right. Back where we were. And the napkin that was about his head was not lined with the linen clothes, but wrapped together by itself. Then when also the other disciple came into the sepulcher and saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away unto their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Seeing the two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not it was Jesus. How many of you know your resurrection body is going to be a little different than the body you have? You know, in a moment, in the twinkling of all, in a twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be exchanged. You're not going to have the same body you got, because it's corruptible, and you're going to have a brand new body according to the seed. It says in First Corinthians fourteen, fifteen. But not only that, you know what it says about Jesus' body? It says neither will you suffer the Holy One to see corruption. His body didn't corrupt, but it was exchanged. There was no corruption. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Just a thought. Mm. Said, woman, why weepest thou? Says, they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. Jesus said unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seek you? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said, sir, if you have borne him, hence tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary... She turned herself and said unto him, Rabona, which is to say, Master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken to her these things. And the same evening was being the first day of the week when the door was shut. Where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, that Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had said thus, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, Peace be unto you. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. And we had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. 
And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Except I shall see his hand prints and the nails, put my fingerprints in his nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were thin, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the door being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach hither your fingers, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are all those that have seen me, and yet have not seen me, and yet have believed. You know, this is the greatest day in human history. Thank God for what Jesus went through. We've been teaching for months and years here the three frames of exchange. Isaiah 53 is the gospel, according to Isaiah 53, that Jesus came to die for our spirit, soul, and body to take care of all of our sins and all of our problems and everything we took care of. Thank God for what Jesus did. But I like what John G. Lake said in, in, in his book, The great majority of the Christian world is still weeping at the foot of the cross. The consciousness of man is fixed on the Christ who died, not on the Christ who lives. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. I'm going to tell you a strange thing. I'm not much interested in the Christ on the other side of Calvary, not half as much as the Christ on this side of Calvary. Bless God, I love the Redeemer but I glory in his redemption. The Bible says, as he is, not as he was, John said. So are we in this world, 1 John 4, 17. The glory is not for the life that is, the glory is not for the life that is, but for the life that is now, that is coming, but for the life that is now. The victory is not for the life that's coming, but for the life that's now. The resurrection of Christ is the greatest event in human history without any doubt. The resurrection of Jesus Christ furnishes a solution to the human problem. If you're going to have a bona fide resurrection, it's necessary that you have an absolute death. You cannot have a genuine resurrection without a genuine death. Thank God for all Jesus has done. But you know, I want you to tell you something. His mercy took care of all we... uh, have done, and all we inherited from Adam. His mercy took care of that. But I want to tell you something. His grace gives us everything that we didn't deserve. Romans 4.25 says that he was crucified and lifted up for our transgressions. But he was raised for our justification. See, without the resurrection, all of this to us really is just pie in the sky by and by someday. Most Christians are living with forgiveness of sins. They know Jesus died for their sins, but they're still living in this world without experiencing the life that Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. See, he come that we might have life, Zoe life. And and as you look at that, you know, I thank God for what Jesus went through. But let's don't stop there. Let's don't stop with just the fact that our sins are, are, we sang the song, our sins are, the blood has covered our sins. No, the blood didn't cover our sins. It took it away. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. See, he didn't come just to cover our sins. He came to take it away. 
in Romans 5.11, it says that we have now received the atonement. What was the atonement in the Old Testament? It was to cover. The word atonement in the Old Testament was to cover your sins for a year. The word in the New Testament, atonement's exchange. He didn't come to just to cover your sins. He come to take them away. You've been exchanged. You are not who you used to be. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And He, what did he do? He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's an exchange. You have the very righteousness of God living in you. Look within Romans chapter 6. I want us to see who we really are. See, our identity. The problem is we're living in a world where identity theft's a big problem. How many of you know identity theft's a big problem? Well, Satan invented that. He's stolen your identity for years. Most people don't know who they are. Should I say, most of us are still living who we were, not who we are. See, we have a new identity. And who is our identity? Your identity is Christ. Christ is your life, it says in Colossians 3.1. You remember we've been going through for weeks now, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And, you know, we preached on living by the life of another because his life is our life. Living by the faith of another because there, you have no faith apart from the faith of Christ. If you have faith, it's because he gave it to you. We live by the faith of another. We live by the strength of another. We live by the love of another. And it also says we live by the worship of another. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. How can we worship without him? We can't. What is it we can do without him? Nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. So what is everything we do without him? Nothing. Nothing. It's wood, hay, and stubble. But see, we can. What did he say? Greater works will you do than I've done because I'm going to my Father. And we're going to come make our abode with you. And so when you start doing works, it's not you doing the works, but it's me doing the works through you. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship created in him to do good works. So all the good works we do, we're doing in Him. See, so we are in Him. The secret of Christianity is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you're in Christ. You can't separate it. And I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. That's what's so glorious about the... the, Until you understand the resurrection life, you'll never understand the exchange life. Because it's in... When He was... Listen. When Jesus was crucified, the truth is I was crucified with Him. He didn't go to that cross for himself. He went to that cross for us. He went to that cross for me. When he died, I died. But it didn't stop there. Too many people are still sitting there at the foot of the cross. He he died for my sins. Thank God for my sins. And so you stay at the cross because I guess you decided you're going to keep on sinning. So you just need to stay there. Now don't shout me down. But see, he didn't stop there. He was buried. And when he was buried, guess what? I was buried. He is the last Adam. When he went down into that grave as the last Adam, the old Adam stayed there. He was the end of the last Adam. When he was resurrected, he come up as the second man. A whole new generation of redeemed believers. But when he came up, I came up. I didn't stop there. When he ascended... We ascended. And when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, 
we sit down with him because Ephesians 2 said we've been made to sit with him in heavenly places. Why? Because he can't go anywhere that we don't go because we're what? We're in him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And you are complete because you're in him. If this thing could just dawn on us that we're not our own, we're another. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts because we thus judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. How many died? You can't have a real resurrection till you have a real death. And except a corn of wheat fall in the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that saveth his soul will lose it, but he that loses his soul will find it. Right. So you've got to lose the old to find the new. It's called exchange. You've got to give up one so you can have the other. But it is a what? It's a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God. So when he was buried, we were buried. When we ascended, he ascended, we ascended. You have no life apart from his life. We have nothing apart from him. But you know what it does to you? The glorious freedom when you finally figure out it's not up to you to do anything but receive what he's done for you. That's the good news of the gospel. He that he says, good master, what must we do to do the works of God? He said, this is the work of God. Just believe on what I've done for you. That's the work. Believe in me. That's all there is. You believe into him. Now in Romans chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus? Now I want you to see something. What did it say? Into Jesus. You talk, you sin with me? You were baptized into Jesus. You, you were baptized into Jesus when you were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried by, with him by baptism into his death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in that new life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now I want you to see something. Eric's Bible is about the only one that really says it right. Eric, I'm going to give you some credit for that. But it says, if we have been united together, what? United. That's a word you better get used to. If we have been united together with him in his death, we're united with him in his resurrection. That word united is something you can't separate. Husband and wife become what? One. When you go down, when he did what he did and he carried us, we were united with him once for all. You cannot separate it anymore. We were united with him. That word united just used two times and it's used right here in this verse. It means to be united into oneness, united together with him in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. What? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. It's a done deal. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with him, we believe we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Revelation 1.18 says what? Behold, I am he that was what? Alive and was dead. 
And behold, I'm alive forevermore and have the keys of death and hell. Amen. Amen. Has the keys of what? Death and hell. Death has no more dominion over you. One thing, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Jesus has already destroyed death. Hebrews 2.14, For as much sin as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's Satan. He says, Who is the devil? All their lifetimes subject to bondage through what? Fear of death. Jesus took the fear of death. There is no fear of death because what did Jesus, Mary, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But what did he say? He said, didn't I tell you if you just believe, you'll see the glory of God? He said, your brother's going to live again. He said, oh, I know that in the resurrection. You know, it's amazing to me. She understood the resurrection, but the disciple had no clue of the resurrection. Isn't that wild? They had no clue, it says, that, the, that he would rise again until after he was glorified and the Holy Ghost told him. She said, I know in the resurrection that he'll rise again. He says, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that liveth and believeth in me will never die, and he that's dead and believeth in me, he said, will live again. He is the resurrection. He is our life. He is your everything. And see, we live our life by the life of another. It takes it plumb away from us having to do anything but believe and walk in the Spirit, and so what? Enjoy what he's done for us. Too many people are struggling, struggling with this day. And you know what it is? Too many people, watch my niece says, the, the big problem with the, the church today, they're half saved. Let's have a drink. They have their sins forgiven, but they're still battling sin every day. They're still battling self every day. Why? You hadn't reckoned yourself to be dead. <clears throat> he died, we died. What does the word reckon? Take inventory. When he died, Mike, you died. But you've got to reckon yourself to be alive too. If you don't reckon yourself to be alive, you're still living like you were dead. Reckon yourself to be alive in him. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should what? Obey it in the lust thereof. <clears throat> Neither what? Yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. For sin shall what? Not have dominion over you anymore because what? You're not under the law. So you know it says the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. As a woman is bound to the law of her husband as long as her husband lives. But if her husband be dead, she's free from the law to her husband so she can be married again and be okay. It says, through the death of Jesus Christ, you were married to another, even Christ. So that what? You should bring sin, bring, not forth, bring sin anymore, but bring forth the fruit of righteousness. <coughs> through the death of Christ, we were married to another. That old lawmaker, sin and death, the law was a taskmaster and he died. I listened to Bill Johnson was talking about a lady in his church that she married this man and uh, he gave her a set of rules and regulations that she was to live by as long as she was married to him that she had to keep. And she lived with this guy having to keep all these rules and regulations he set up for her. 
And he says, one day he died. And he said, she didn't kill him, he died. (laughs) And she married another fine man in the church and said one day she was going through her old stuff and she found that list. And she started looking over that list and just started laughing and weeping because she said everything that her husband had told her she needed to be doing for him, she was automatically doing without even thinking about it for her new husband. You see the difference? See, what did God say? I'll, I'll write my laws in your heart and your mind. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It'll be so natural with, with you, you won't even know you're doing it. We are created, we are his workmanship, created and do, to do things that you do naturally and you don't even think about it. That's the wonder of the new creation that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 1, if you be risen with Christ. Now see, that's a big word, if. Some versions say since. Either one. You still need to recognize it. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you're dead and your life is hid in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And remember what I said? One of these days, I'm coming back to get the rest of me. Because we're already seated with him in heavenly places, but there's still part of us that's still here that's going to be exchanged one of these days. Isn't that a good news? Steve, you're coming back with him to get you. Now let your natural mind figure that one out. Aren't you glad we don't have to reason all this stuff out? Thank God. 1 John 4.17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is now, so are we. You just well accept it. That's what he came to do. He came to give us eternal life. And see, that's one of the things you've got to see. That this day is not just a day to hunt Easter eggs and to, to think about him, him being crucified. This is a day. You know what? In the book of Acts, it says in Acts chapter 4, four it says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. They didn't preach the cross. They may have mentioned the cross, but the preaching was not about the cross because they all saw him die. It was about the resurrection. Why? Because it was the grace and the resurrection that gave us the justification of life. Thank God for the cross. But listen, you stop at the cross, you're still just a forgiven sinner. All your sins is forgiven. That's wonderful. But I want more than just to be forgiven. I want to be a new creation. When God sees you, do you want him to see you just as, as a forgiven sinner? No, you want to see him as he sees you as a whole new creation, born of another seed. We've been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. It's an incorruptible creature you are. And the scripture says that which is born of God cannot sin, for his seed remains in you. The new creation in you cannot sin. The only way you can sin is to do what Jim was saying well ago, to listen to the enemy try to call you back out of who you are into who you were and get you to believe in a lie. That's the only way he can have access to you. What did Jesus say? The prince of this world comes and he finds no place in me. And he says what? Our scripture also says that which is born of God has his seed in him and the wicked one touches him not. The wicked one cannot touch the new creation in you. 
He cannot touch anything in you. We have been given power and authority over what? All the devils. All of them. It's amazing to me. I think it was John G. Lake says, why did he give us power over the Satan? He said he sent the disciples out. He cast out devils. He sent the disciples out to cast out devils. And he says, the first thing he says, the believers cast out devils. Why? Because it's Satan that blinds you to the truth of who you really are. And you have to cast out the devil and, and, and confront him on a regular basis. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast where? In the faith. Why? Knowing what? Same affliction you're going through, everybody else is going through. But the God of all grace, after you've suffered for a little while, I don't know how long that is, Ross, just a little while. He will make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settled. So fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Don't be moved. He gives us armor to put on so we can stand, and that armor so we can stand in our position. See, your identity is his identity. You cannot separate who you are from who Christ is because you are the body of Christ and members one of another. That is who we are. That's good news. It takes you plumb out of the picture. And how many of you are glad for that? I am. So we're going to have Garrett come on up here. We're going to have communion. And as much as he says, do this in remembrance of what I have done for you. Thank God for this day. The greatest day in human history when he made us what? Mercy takes care of everything in the past and grace takes care of everything in the future. For now and evermore. All your sins, past, present, and future. By one offering, he took care of that for what? Forever. It's good. How many of you like mercy? I like mercy. But how many of you really like grace? Oh, grace is more better. Mercy is good. Grace is better. Okay. It tells me that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, how do you describe a man's countenance? It's a reflection of God in him. And that's what you did for me. And I want you to know that, I mean, you've got a couple of parents that uh, have a lot of influence on you. But none compares with the influence of the Holy Spirit in you. And I want you to, to know that you can continue to express God's countenance. It's not only with uh, the people that you know, but other people. And he's going to use you. And maybe they're like me. I can't explain it, but I've been blessed by it. And I want to thank you for letting the Holy Spirit come and minister something that's inside of you. Amen. You can sit down. Uh, you know, a lot of times we are brought through 
the knowledge that the Holy Spirit brings us. Uh, you know, we're, we experience the crucifixion. We experience the resurrection. And we experience the ascension. But the thing is, is there's uh, not probably not the last step, but there's another step. And it's Pentecost when we receive the Holy Spirit. You know, when Christ sat down at the right hand of God, he sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and to lead us in truth and to tell us who we were and who we are. Communion is that attempt, if you will, that Christ set before us to say, this is who I am. And his instruction to us was to remember not who he was, but who he is. And when we come before this table, we're partakers of who Christ is today. And that's important because we've been trained to believe that we're just poor sinners saved by grace. That's who we were. And I think, you know, Norman said it, you know, and he quoted John G. Lake. We've concentrated on who we were so long that we have a tendency to forget who we are. And the thing about it is until we understand who we are, we can't really continue on. You know, one of the things that I remember uh, not too long ago, and it was said that relationship has to precede fellowship. Communion allows us to be a partaker of Christ and, and, and to come to that place where we understand our relationship today. And then we can have fellowship. And that's what God's after. He's wanting us to understand our relationship so that we can have fellowship. If you people will come forward, it's going to help me. One of the things that I want you to do this morning, and I think the Lord's leading me to do this, but in Deuteronomy it talks about the, the blessings and the curses. And one of the things that I feel strongly about is the fact that God has put, in, has put heads of households and I think that if you're the head of a household, I want you to pray blessings before you come forward over your family, over yourself and over your family. And the thing is, as Christ said, that he said, if you're a widow, I'll be your husband. So you're covered. Okay? You're covered. But the thing is, is as you come forward, you pray 
for your family. Pray for yourself and pray for your family that the blessings of God will come to you. And communion will be a release, so to speak, of that blessing. You know, I mean, Christ said some pretty strange things. He said, you need to come and uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh and the people that I... You know, I mean, that didn't go down too well because they didn't understand it. But the thing is, as Christians, it's Christ in us. And we have to be partakers. We have to appropriate all that he's done for us. Father, I just thank you today that you've given us this opportunity of of uh, the bread and the wine. And Lord, as we come forward, let us come forward in faith, believing that you're all-sufficient, that you lack nothing, and that you love us with a love that maybe we can't understand, but we receive it and appropriate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a second. Even in Galatians, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us through what he did. See, even the blessing he's talking about today has been given freely to us through Christ. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So if you're not feeling like you may be necessarily a super spiritual person to be blessed, just receive his blessing and pass it on. Amen? It's not about you anyhow. It's about what he did for you. Just keep that in mind as you come up.